Voice of Hope is a podcast of New Hope Presbyterian Church of Castle Rock, Colorado. New Hope is a church that puts people first. You can listen to our sermons and podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and any other popular podcast platforms. This week, Pastor Russ talked about the restoration of Peter and what it means to begin again. It comes from John chapter 21, verses 1 through 25. Jordan read our scripture this morning. It's from the very last chapter of the book of John. We have been going through the book of John. We've been going through it with the theme of what does it mean to have the abundant, the flourishing life? That is the topic throughout the entire book of John. The reason it was written, it says, is so that we would have that kind of life. So what are we finding out? What are we learning? What is in this last chapter? Because it's sort of a bookend, isn't it? Here's where I'd like you to, to focus this morning. Because it may not be as obvious... So I'd like you to focus right here on this fire. We already know. We already know. We're picking up clues and who's there. Nathaniel is there. We don't hear about Nathaniel. First time we've heard about Nathaniel since the first chapter when the disciples are being gathered. So there's a sort of a a beginning, a new way of beginning. that's That's a theme. We're at the Sea of Galilee again. That's a that's a bookend where we're referencing the Cana where Jesus began his ministry. And then there's this funny story that if you didn't know the book of John or some of the other gospels, it might sound familiar, but you wouldn't be able to place it. But wasn't this how all the disciples got called in the first place? This is where the, the fishing all night, not catching anything. And then Jesus says, throw your net on the other side. We're doing the same thing now in, verse, in chapter 21. They're out all night. They're not catching anything. Jesus shows up, suddenly the nets are full. There's these themes, and, in, and even if you don't know everything, you'd know this, this has something to do with wrapping something up. This has something to do with a new beginning. This has something to do with the bookends. This has something to do, again, with Jesus showing up at dawn. One of John's favorite motifs of talking about it's dark, but it's not night, it's the day's coming, it's hard to see. Something is starting to emerge, something new. There's a sort of an awakening. All of that's true, but I think the focus is here at this fire. This fire, this meal, it is in itself a theme. Jesus loves to eat. Everywhere you go in the gospel, Jesus is eating, but he's a social disaster. You could just say that. He is always making a mess of meals. He is, uh, he's always getting the guest list wrong. He's eating with the wrong kind of people. He gets the seating charts all wrong. And then he has conversations that that are very disturbing to people and it just offends people. And And yet it's at those places we know that there's something momentous going on. So even that has told us, pay attention. There's something momentous about to go on here. It is a fire that has been prepared. It's waiting. It says, it says in our passage that that when there was a charcoal fire there, there was a fire that had already been started. As they get back from the from their fishing, there's already fish that's waiting. There's already bread that's waiting. They were they were expected. They were anticipated. This isn't off the cuff. How long do you think Jesus had been there on the shore waiting for them, watching them, anticipating, getting ready for this meal? But there is one piece of this that might escape 
our attention. And yet I think it's central. It sets up what's next going to happen next. They gathered around a charcoal fire. There's only one other place, there's only one other place in the whole book of John where they gather around a fire, a charcoal fire specifically. And Peter's there. A couple chapters earlier, it's Peter who is around a charcoal fire when he denies being a follower of Jesus. There. This is telling us something. This is telling us that this is about beginnings and this is about beginning again. This is about a beginning again because this is that place where Peter stumbles again and he needs a new beginning again. This is the place where that that Jesus calls him back to this place because something new needs to happen because Peter is stuck. After the resurrection, there's all kinds of things that get in the way of people following and people experiencing the life of Jesus, the abundant life, the flourishing life. We, we talked about on Easter Day, it had to do with the, the, just the absolute despair and grief so they couldn't see what was right in front of them. Last week, it had to do with, with doubt that gets in the way of being able to go all in. Next week, it has something to do with comparisons. This week, what gets in the way is regret guilt. It is the condemnation, the judgment of self that I'm done. I got nothing. There is this disappointment in self. It is not in the resurrection. It's not in the belief in the resurrection. That's not the question. They recognize who Jesus was. But the real question, what's my part in this? And for Peter, none. Jesus rose from the dead. I was there. Great. I'm done. It is this regret that gets in the way. It is this disappointment. It is the, the cousin of guilt that is sometimes so prevalent in churches that gets used in shame because it's a great motivator as if that is what Jesus is going for. Jesus is coming and bringing Peter back to here not for the sake of guilt but for a new beginning. And as such, as such, there's a great truth in this. The resurrection in John is not, and in through all the Gospels, the resurrection is not, not just an event in history. It's not just a day in the life that happened to Jesus. Rightly understood, the resurrection becomes a template for the way we live. It is a way of incorporating the deaths and all the many deaths of our life and not, not letting those have the final word, but in and out of that death and out of that ash becomes a new life that becomes something of a new beginning and a beginning again. Jesus takes Peter to this campfire, specifically, I believe, on the edge of where he's ready to give up, on the edge of where he's, he's ready to get on with his life because it doesn't have, whatever Jesus is doing doesn't have a whole lot more to do with him. And taking him back before anything can happen, come to this, this place of pain, this place of alienation, the place of the wounding, and then asks him three times, Peter, 
Do you love me? It's interesting that in the book of John, unlike the other Gospels, when he's at that campfire the first time, it's not, it's not to deny that, that he even knows Jesus. That's how the other three Gospels tell it. The book of John tells it in a different way. Aren't you one of the followers of Jesus? No, I'm not. Yeah, but I saw you. Aren't you one of those disciples? That, I'm, not, I'm not one of those guys. It's not denying Jesus. It's denying his role as a follower. Again, this is probably one of those places where it's good to just let Scripture tell its own story rather than try to mash them together so that it all fits tight and nice and neat. Just to, to let, each, let John tell the story in his own way. And in John's telling of this story, it has to do with what's my role in this? I have no role in this. I'm not a follower. And now what Jesus comes to do and restores him as a follower. All right. Do you love me? Yeah, I do. Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs, tend my sheep, three times, three times. I think it's important that what Jesus is doing is reminding him and bringing him back. And again, it's not about belief, it's about recommissioning. This is what it means for you from now on as you become a follower this is what it's going to mean for you. We're going to recommission you. And out of the ashes of what has taken place, out of, the, out of the, the discouragement and out of the failure and out of the betrayals and out of the regret and the remorse, out of that, a, a commissioning, a new commissioning, this is what it's going to mean. And at the end of this whole, he just says, Peter, you follow me. So this is no longer just a bookend story. This is a bookend that becomes a bridge to what's to be next. And as such, I think it's a great and important story for us. Like Peter, I know a lot of people, I know a lot of people who have no problem with God, no problem with belief in Jesus and the resurrection, sure. But it doesn't seem to happen, happen to hold a whole lot for them. It doesn't seem to mean a whole lot for them. And in part, it's not because of who Jesus is. It's just the trajectory of their own life. You know those stories. You know those stories where sometimes people tell the story of their life, the, the trajectory of their faith and what it means to be a Christian. And sometimes what it is is this sort of this charmed life that I have always loved God. God has always loved me. I've, I've always known it. I've never doubted it. And it's just kind of like this. And it's amazing. Sure, there was that one time where we, you know, maybe tore off the, the label off the mattress pad. But, you know, that was a... <laughs> That was a generation ago anyway, uh, you know, and it just, it, just, it just seems like everything is, is amazing, and they even have the humility to go with it. It's, it's, it's disgusting. It, it's, a kind of, it, it's daunting at best, right? So there's another story that we have come to admire more, and it's I used to pull... Those, pat, you know, those, those labels off mattress. I used to enjoy. I used to do all kinds of terrible things. And then something happened. And now my life is different. And now everything is good. Now I love God. And now God loves me. And there are, now it's all been settled. And it's that kind of a graph. Or, or if not that, at least it's this. It's this gradual charted sort of faith that kind of up and to the right and there's ups and there's downs but it's basically moving each day I'm getting closer and closer to Jesus and Jesus is getting closer to me and I'm becoming more and more spiritual and if you have one of those stories bless you 
bless you, truly. Because I'm just telling you that that's not all of us. All of us, if you put most of us together, our story, our trajectory of faith might look a little more interesting. It would go up, it would go down. It would go forward, it would go backwards. It would be the three steps forward, the two steps back, and then sometimes that would be optimistic. And sometimes it's five steps back. And then two more. And then there's a realization and there's new commitments and there's new promises and then that falls apart. And it's discouraging and it takes us out and after a while we begin to wonder if any of this is for me. In the midst of all the joys and their sorrows, in the midst of great promises, there is great disappointment. In the great, in the great affirmations and then in the betrayals of what I say I believe. There is hope, but there's plenty of discouragements. And we get to the place where we are today and we don't know where we're, are we going forward, are we going back, up and down? We, we don't know, which means this passage is perfect. It's perfect for us because this is a passage about beginning again and again and again. This is a passage about people who find themselves to be eternal beginners. That's how one person described the Christian life. It is to be an eternal beginner. It is to begin again and again. It's beginning again because, not because of us, but because God's not finished yet. We may think we're finished. We may think it's done. We may think we've got nothing left, but God keeps coming and God keeps showing up in our life and inviting us to do something new. Peter's life was like that. I was reminded again of somebody else's life who was like that. It was from the 1700s. His name was John Newton. John Newton was an abolitionist as a minister and was, was key to helping to pass in England the anti-slavery laws. But it didn't start that way. John Newton started as a bit of a hellion. His words, not mine where he was always getting in trouble and then always having a crisis and then always making big promises and it would take for a while and then it would fade away. He, he was in trouble as a youth always and that's how he ha finally had to get on a ship to get out of town because he wasn't welcomed there anymore. But once he was on a ship, he was always getting in trouble and then something would happen and he would change and then he would get in trouble again. He was a smart person. He had a penchant for verse and memorable lines and he would use them too many times to create Create these vulgar, scandalous verses that were castigating the captain, and the rest of the crew would remember it, and then they would repeat it, and then he would get in trouble. It got so bad that finally he got thrown off his ship, but not just thrown off his ship, he got sold into slavery. That's how disgusted they were with him. That's how scandalized they were with him. If it hadn't have been for his father who found out and came and got him and sent someone to rescue him, he might have stayed there the rest of his life. But he didn't. And he begins to make promises, promises to God. And now he's a captain of a ship, but he's a captain of a slave trading ship. He has slaves. He's trading in slaves. And then there's a storm that comes, and he's convinced that this has got God all over it. And so he makes these big promises, and he converts to Christianity there. So much so that, that he's bringing his crew, the this, this same crude, vulgar guy, is now bringing his, his crew together twice a day for prayers and reading them 
It doesn't change the fact that he's still a captain of a slave ship. Never even pricks his consciousness that that might be wrong. More crises, more promises. He has a stroke. He can't, he can't keep that as his livelihood anymore. So he no, no longer is on a ship. Now he's back in the harbor. But now he continues to invest in the slave trade. But he also begins to, with the time he has, begins to study Greek and Hebrew and the scriptures. And little by little, it dawns on him that maybe, maybe he might be someone God wants to be a minister. It takes a long time for anybody else to agree with him, by the way. He was turned down again and again and again. Finally, somebody takes a chance on him, partly because his preaching was very simple, often confessional, often just telling his own story about the ups and the downs of his life and the God who was faithful and the God who kept coming. And, and somebody thought, there, there might, might be something. People keep coming. So he found himself in a small little village in England. And there, as a minister, because he was good with verse, he started to put things to verse. He started creating hymns and on... New Year's Day of 1773, he unveiled a hymn that talked about the ups and the downs of faith and the faithfulness of God, and it was given that memorable title, Faith's Review and Expectation. Sure, you know that one, right? <laughs> Over the years, it was set to music, and it became better known by its first line, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And it just recounts this story of up and down and beginning and beginning again and the God who is faithful. I'd like to say it was at that point he decided to become an abolitionist. It was another eight years, even after this amazing hymn, even after his whole life. It still didn't dawn on him. It still didn't occur Eight years later, he finally started to make it known. Eight years later, he started to become vocal about it. Eight years later. And if you're disappointed in that, as I was when I first found out, I thought Amazing Grace came because he understood this, this terrible thing that in which he had participated and was a part of and now had a change of mind. I found out that wasn't the case and I was disappointed. And you know who else would be disappointed would be John Newton. But he also... He also understood that this was just another beginning for him. As he said one time famously, he says, I'm not the man I ought to be. I'm not the man I wish to be. I'm not the man I hope to be. But by the grace of God, I am not the man I used to be. There's always a new beginning. There's a new realization. And out of the out of the ashes, out of the disappointments, out of the failures. God takes those, and those don't become the things that disqualify us. Those become the raw material that God can use for what God wants to do next. And eventually, it dawned on him that the trade that he had been involved with was evil. And he began to give voice to it. And out of that, and out of his own experience, he was able to give encouragement to Wilbur Wilberforce and all those who were fighting and gave encouragement particularly to Wilberforce in his darkest times when he thought he was a failure and he had nothing to offer and he was able to speak into that life and then just months before Newton died the legislation finally after years passed it was a new beginning 
Because who better, who better than John Newton, someone who made his living as a captain of a slave ship, as someone who had been a slave himself at one point, who better to speak out against the evils and to be able to say, I used to be here, but now I'm here. And, and by the way, it didn't come easily. Who better, who better than someone who had a way with words and could make verses memorable and who made them memorable with his vulgarity then began to make them memorable with hope. And one of the best loved hymns in the English language today. Who better? Who better than Peter? who betrayed Jesus, the guy who, who swore off even being a disciple or being a follower, who better than the person who was always blundering and always falling and always getting in his own way and always getting in the way of others, who better to be the one who could feed and tend and be in charge of others who were going to follow, who would also stumble and fall and be discouraged and come to the place where they'd feel like, I got nothing left, I'm disqualified, I'm out. Too many things would happen. Who better than Peter to be able to tell people that there is no sin that is so great that the grace of God isn't greater? And if you somehow think that you are unique and that somehow what you have done in your past is so discouraging and it is so twisted and it is so wrong that, that, God can't, that God's grace isn't bigger than that, then you need to rethink and you need to come to a place, a campfire moment, and you need to be confronted again with the God who's expecting and the God who's waiting and the God who's anticipating and the God who is offering. You need to be the one who comes and, and maybe you're the one who can talk to the people who wouldn't even darken the door of a church on a day like today because they become so discouraged. Not so much in God, maybe in church, possibly with themselves. And who secretly believe that there doesn't have much to do with them. Who better to be able to speak into that particular situation, that particular failing, that particular disappointment, that particular defeat, that particular discouragement that you have, that's the raw material that you have been given, that God is doing something with and offering and using today. Who better? Who better to be able to speak into a world that begins to wonder if there's anything, anything that can get us out of this labyrinth and make sense of it? Who better who can say of all the questions and all the things you're wondering about, the one thing you don't have to wonder about is God's part in this and what God wants. That God didn't come, that Jesus didn't come to condemn but to save. He didn't come for guilt but came to recommission. Jesus came to bring life and abundant and that includes you. Who better? Who better than you? Who better than me? Out of, out of the, not just all the good things that have happened in our life, but particularly and maybe especially all the things for which we won't even want to talk about. Because it's there where grace becomes truly amazing. We are eternal beginners. We are eternal beginners because God's not finished. And when we begin to understand that, when we come to a table like this, it is its own kind of campfire moment, isn't it? It is a place of warmth, of welcome. It is a place that says you are expected, you've been anticipated. It is a place of encounter with the living God.
who comes to begin again, to take all the parts of who we are and somehow and somehow use those as the raw material for what God wants to do next. That this, this then becomes the bridge from what was to what is yet to be. And it's all about grace. And when we catch that, when we catch that, that this is a new beginning again, then that grace truly, truly is amazing. Would you join me in prayer? It's amazing to think, oh God, that when we come and when Jesus came to us and when Jesus comes to us, It is not somehow because God needs it, but we do. It is not to change God's mind about us, but to change our mind about God, about ourselves, about what God is up to, and what God is up to in our world. But once again, we come as eternal beginners. Whether this week has been three steps forward or whether it has been two steps backward or maybe five, it hardly matters. Only this, that we are here, that we've been anticipated, that we are being welcomed and recommissioned for what you are yet to do and for what is coming next with hearts that are willing, with hearts that are open, with hearts that are full of questions, oh God. Nevertheless, we come to this table to receive what you are longing to give again through Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Voices of Hope. If you've enjoyed our podcast, please rate and review it and share it with your friends. Go in peace and have a wonderful week.